On this episode of the Injured List podcast, we are joined by a sports nutritionist, Gabby Vila. And ironically enough, we're sponsored today by HelloFresh. Do you feel like you are stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but the one pan sweet chili turkey lettuce wraps look amazing. Go to the link in our show notes to get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the host of the Injured List podcast, Brian Scott. What is up, everybody? Your host, Brian Scott. Welcome to another great episode of the Injured List podcast, member of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast program. And we have another special guest on our episode today by the name of Gabby Vila. She's a sports nutritionist and founder of Intense Eat Fit. She specializes in optimizing performance for triathletes and ultra distance runners by making food their best ally in sport and in life. And over the past nine years, Gabby has supported more than 500 athletes, including state sport teams, in their preparation for their most important events, including national and international championships. Gabby's on a mission to empower people to achieve their personal best by fueling with purpose while building a happy and strong body. She strives to contribute to a world that enables and promotes a healthy and active lifestyle for everybody. And Gabby is originally from Mexico, where she studied a uh, Bachelor of Nutrition degree in Wellness and Dietetics from the Tecnologico de Monterrey, which is a top university in Mexico City. And she also holds a diploma in sports nutrition from the International Olympic Committee, as well as a Master of Health Science from Exercise and Health from the University of Western Australia. And Gabby is going to be joining us live from Perth, Australia via Zoom call today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. We'll be right back with Gabby Vila right after this. This is the Injured List Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Are you interested in being a guest on the show? Or do you know someone who would make a good guest? Want Brian Scott to be on your show? If so, share the podcast with your friends or drop us a line and we will get back to you right away. Email us at theinjuredlist411 at gmail.com or visit our website at www.theinjuredlist.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Injured List podcast. Your host, Brian Scott. And joining us today, we have Gabby Vila. Gabby is coming from us from Perth, Australia, um, by way of Mexico originally, correct? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Uh, nice to see you again. And Gabby is here to talk about sports nutrition. Uh, she is an expert in the field, a licensed certified nutritionist and focuses in the areas of sports nutrition. You work with 
basically more the triathletes slash ultra at distance athletes. That's primarily your specialty and your kind of niche. And but you've also been a triathlete yourself, so you have experience in dealing with injuries. Oh, actually, you are one of the few people I think who have not had any major injuries. <laughs> if I remember our conversation correctly, um, which is which is good because I very rarely run into those people. So you can help us with that aspect of training. Um, but Gabby, uh, she has her own business. Uh, she also is a consultant and she works extensively with uh, athletes when you were in Mexico and also now in Australia, correct? So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you got going on and how you got there? Sure. Thank you, Brian, for having me here. And yes, uh, just as you said, I work mostly with endurance athletes. I'm an athlete, I'm a sports nutritionist. I've been doing this for over nine years. And most of my passion came as me being in, involved in a sport since I was very young, from a very young age. My family uh, always made sure that my siblings and I were always practicing any sort of a sport. And probably when I was around 15 years old, I, I was coming from swimming and I, I came across triathlon with a, a cousin who invited us to, to be part of a triathlon relay. And since that day, I just fell in love with triathlon. I just like loved how, uh, I guess, the, the, the diversity of being able to swim, the bike, the run. And I think knowing that I wanted to be involved in the sport somehow is what encouraged me to seek a career in a sport as well. Uh, at some stage, I thought of becoming a coach, but then I didn't, I, I wasn't sure if that was the thing for me. So when I came across nutrition and the opportunity of being a sports nutritionist uh, came very clear, I just loved the idea. And from there, I just continued to do my, my path in going into dietetics and then specializing in sports nutrition as well. And, and did you have any experience in working with a nutritionist while you were an athlete and competing in triathlons? Or is that something you just learned about and decided to pursue? Or did you have like some firsthand experience with it? Yeah, that's, that's actually a very good question. Uh, yes, I did get to see a dietitian when I was uh, young. I think actually it didn't come to her as with the idea of being a sports nutrition. It was more because I had weight concerns and I wanted to uh, lose weight. I was very concerned on over those years about uh, my interest in losing weight and how important it was to lose fat. So that's how I ended up uh, going to a dietitian. She did have a degree or certain certification in sports nutrition, but the, we actually didn't touch on that area. Very interesting. Very interesting. You know, the young female athletes are a very sub specialized group of athletes that I often have dealt with throughout my career. And one of the big issues with female athletes, especially triathletes, is the female triad, which I'm sure you've probably heard of, where they tend to overexercise, uh, under malnourished, and then they develop all these chronic problems centered around their men menstrual cycles, which leads to other injuries. Um, what is, do you have any experience in dealing with that or working with athletes in that capacity? I, I've seen a few, but I think the way I, I approach nutrition, it's, it's making sure that people don't get there. So usually if I've seen someone is because they, they arrived to me like that and it's changing the perspective in working towards, all right, let's focus on your performance. And that, that changes things because most of the time, what, not most of the time, but for a lot of people, what takes them there is this concept that to be good 
at certain sport, you need to be as lean as you can. And that's what leads to overtraining, underfueling, and then carries all these other problems as well. Yeah. And, and I'm going to pick your brain about some more specific stuff in related to um, nutritional intake for the uh, athletes here who listen to my show. But let's, let's pause a little bit because I want to learn a little bit more about how you, where you studied and how you got into the, where you are now um, from Mexico to Perth, Australia. It's a pretty big leap. How did you end up? Uh, what was your, where did your career start and take you? Sure. So I started in Mexico. I did a Bachelor of Nutrition and Wellness, which is dietetics over there. That was in Monterrey. That's at the north of Mexico. It's actually very close to the uh, U.S. border, probably like three hours away from uh, from the U.S. driving. Uh, then there, I immediately after I finished my degree, which was four and a half years, I registered for the Diploma in Sports Nutrition with the International Olympic Committee. That took another two years that I was doing. At the same time, I started working in the State Institute of Sport in Monterrey as well. And there I was working with athletes uh, from kayaking, rowing, and sailing mostly. So I knew while I was doing that, that I wanted to do these studies overseas. So I knew I had this, while I was doing this diploma, the opportunity to change the diploma to a master's degree was available. It's something that I did consider after I finished it, but then most of the opportunities were in the UK. And the timing wasn't right for me because I needed to wait another year uh, to do that. So I ended up exploring other options and I came across the Master of Health Science in the University of Western Australia without even knowing where Western Australia, I knew it was in Australia somewhere. Uh, but I actually didn't know that it was on the other side of like where all the things that you often see, like Sydney and the Opera House and those things like this university is totally on the other end of Australia. Uh, anyway, so I, I really liked the idea of this program because it actually had exercise and health in combined. And even though I had a good understanding of both, I, I thought that specializing a little bit more into exercise was going to be very helpful as well. So in February 2016, I ended up moving to Australia to study to study the master's degree in the university over here. So how do you, uh, obviously you must like it because you're still there. Yes, yes. I uh, I ended up actually meeting here my fiance now. There so that's how I ended up staying here well, for congratulations. longer. But I love it. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank that's you. Excellent. And you, it sounds like you got your feet pretty well planted. You've also um, are an entrepreneur, correct? You've started your own business centered around your sports nutrition background. Yes, that's right. So I actually was doing also my private practice while I was in Mexico and working in the State Institute of Sport. And when I came here and I was doing my master's degree, obviously that was uh, put on pause. I kept asking, I kept getting people asking me to do some meal plans for them or, or things from Mexico. And I continued to do that, but it wasn't that big. Um, and last year, uh, while I was working in the Department of Health, um, the, with COVID coming, we had certain plans changing. And my physiotherapist was the one who encouraged me to, to check if there was a possibility for me to start seeing clients over here. Because she see she could see this need of athletes actually like lots of them getting injured and seeing how 
being nutrient deficient was what's causing these things. So with her encouraging me, it, it was very helpful to see that there was an opportunity for me to continue doing what I was doing in Mexico and that I missed so much. I just love working one-on-one -on -one with people. It makes me so happy. So when this opportunity came, I definitely took it. And from there, I start setting up a business and everything. And now I'm, I'm working full-time on it now. So I'm very excited about that. And, and what's the name of that business? I want to make sure everybody knows so that if they're looking for some help, they can reach out to you. Sure. It is Intense Eat Fit. Intense Eat Fit. And you have your website. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. So if anyone's interested, they can search for Gabby uh, on her website. And the link will be in the description of the podcast episode. So don't worry, everybody. You'll see that later. Um, now, Gabby, so when you were in Mexico, you were working with Olympic-level athletes. Is that correct? Were these professional top-tier athletes from Mexico? Probably the level down. So it will be more like national athletes. Okay. Actually, some of the ones, some of the athletes I used to see then, even though they were not at the Olympic level, but at the time, right now, actually one of them was representing Mexico at the Olympics, which was very exciting to see, knowing that uh, Kenya was already a uh, national champion by the time I met her. National level athletes end up in the Olympics. So that's, I would not call that a step down. That's still very elite level. Don't sell yourself short on that. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> thank you. So tell me a little bit more. Now, when, when I see a lot of the athletes in the office or when I deal with a lot of the athletes here in the United States, I feel like there is a definite need for sports nutrition. Here, we, we don't usually see that, though, until you get to a very elite level. Um, it's really hard for the um, competitive athlete in the high school, even the collegiate athletes, unless they're at a major university on a major stage performing their sport, for them to have the resources to plug into sports nutrition. So um, what are some of the basics when it comes to fueling your body for sport? Um, maybe you could just give us a little bit of a blueprint or a foundation to build off, and then we can get into a little more specifics based on individual sports. Sure. Uh, definitely happy to do that. I actually like splitting it into four different categories. So to me, the very first one is fueling your body. And when I talk about fueling your body, I talk about getting those foundations right. Essentially, getting your five serves of vegetables, getting your two serves of fruit at least, ensuring you're having a balanced meal, ensuring you're not skipping meals. All these things that a lot of people take for granted. Usually everybody wants to skip all the way to the, 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 the last bit, which is when we talk about supplementation and additional ergogenic aids, aids that we can have. But at the end, if you don't have a solid foundation, everything else is not going to help at all. So that's the first area I like to, to talk about, which is ensuring that your, your body is getting all the nutrients it needs, essentially, most of them from food. We are trained to understand that there's always a food first approach, which means that we always try in as much as it's possible to get all the nutrients we need from food, there are athletes who have certain dietary restrictions or intolerances, and that's when you start exploring other options, but often trying to get food first. The second one is fueling. In the case, because I see mostly endurance athletes, this one is called fuel your endurance, but it also applies to other athletes in the sense that this category is talking about how are you fueling for your training sessions? What are you eating before? What are you eating during? What are you eating afterwards? making sure that your training sessions are as 
energized as possible and ensuring that that recovery that is critical right after finishing is being covered as well. So that is the second category. The third one is fuel your performance. So that area is talking about like, what are we doing for the competition day? How are we making sure that when you come to that start line, you come confident that you have done everything you needed to prepare for that event and knowing that you have a plan in place to fuel during your event and afterwards. And the last but not least, and something that I've been putting a lot of emphasis on as well, is the part about fueling your soul, is knowing that you are eating things that you enjoy, that are things that make you feel good, and that are things that are good for your overall well-being as well, is avoiding restriction and is knowing that food is there to help us, not to be our enemy. I mean, it sounds very solid and uh, like a solid foundation to me. Um, I, I would imagine, though, for a lot of people, myself included, who are not, uh, you know, ser- as serious about their athletics, it can be very difficult to have all four of those things in place <laughs> to build off of. So I'm a, I'm a, I guess your athletes probably lean on you quite a bit to make sure that they have a good plan in place, that they follow through with it. And I, I guess, depending on how they feel, are you constantly tweaking it? Is this thing constantly being changed and and morphing into something different as the athlete progresses through their training and preparation? Yes, certainly. Especially the part about the endurance bit, where is where the training session is changing because especially for these athletes where the hours get longer and longer because they are preparing for this long distance event, we need to adjust the nutrition to meet those requirements as well. And same throughout the year, the 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 level of training is different depending on, on the stage in the season. So that also needs to be adjusted as well. And uh, so I'm looking uh, or I'm thinking in my, to my head, you know, uh, cycling is one of the sports I enjoy watching and I used to do it uh, just recreationally. And I, and I was blown away by the physiologic and nutritional demands that these elite level cyclists have to do um, and I know Australia has the Tour Down Under, which is a big cycling event every year. And, uh, you know, the Tour de France is a big one. And so I, I would imagine that their um, nutritional demands are probably very similar to the ultra um, distance runners and athletes. Um, I guess maybe you could just give us an example or provide us some insight into how you go about determining, like, I mean, are you using scientific formulas to determine like calorie needs and where you're getting these calories. I mean, how, how detailed are these meal plans that you're helping devise and these, and these athletes, how, 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 like, how specific is this stuff? Cause I would, I would imagine yes. it gets really technical. It does. It does. We try to make it as simple as possible for the athlete. That's why I feel like most of them appreciate my support because I try and remove that part of them becoming overwhelmed with all these numbers and thinking how much they should be eating every single meeting minute. So the way we approach this and the recommendations are often based on grams of carbohydrate per hour. Usually depending on the, on the event, an athlete will need between 30 to 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour. So for you to get an idea of how much that will be is essentially for example, if it's bit, uh, from a sports drink, usually that is 40 grams if you are drinking 500 meals of Gatorade, let's say. So it's essentially drinking 500 meals of Gatorade every single hour. But then it becomes complex because at the same time, the stomach can handle the same thing over and over and over. 
So that's when you start introducing different types of food and that uh, there are different sports foods available like energy gels, uh, energy bars as well. But some other things that are quite simple, like making a rice bar or having some biscuits available, those things are necessary to be in place. So that is one component of it. And the other component is hydration, making sure that the athlete is also hydrated. With this, in this case, we also perform sweat rate tests to ensure to see how much this athlete uh, is losing in sweat per hour. And with that, try and offset that in a way that the dehydration is not as great. Often it's very hard to meet the same sweat rate in liquid as well but at least we try to minimize that loss as much as we can. Yeah, so very scientific <laughs> when you're talking about sweat rate tests and all that. Um, so I'm curious, what are some of the more common mistakes or pitfalls that you see a lot of um, athletes making when they first come to you for help and you kind of review where they're at? What are some of the more common things that you see them doing wrong? I think probably one one of the, the biggest one, and it's something that I touched on very briefly at the beginning, is the part of thinking that performance is the same as just losing weight. So they come with this mindset that they they need to lose weight in order to perform better. And even though it can be true to a certain degree, the problem with this is that they are not eating enough or they are avoiding things that actually could help them. So the other mistake there as well that is very linked there with this one is following advice from all the media. So if you look around, there's huge information about carbohydrates not being good for you or how sugar or things that potentially could be detrimental for your health, according to these messages, actually are things that athletes need a lot. So restricting on carbohydrates just because in theory they are bad for you, it's likely to, to create these issues in your performance that can be easily corrected if we change that intake to increase it a little bit. Uh, so those are very big ones. The other one I also see quite common is not um, practicing during their training what they would like to do on the competition. So because in these endurance events, we need people, people need to eat while they are racing as well it is very important to ensure that your training sessions also includes these sort of, fruit, the, of foods as well. So that way you are prepared for them uh, once you are racing as well. Yeah, I could, I could easily see how they might fall into the trap of forgetting to eat or not following through on that part of the plan because it can, your mind is just so focused on your task at hand, you know, to have to worry about that also, especially during the heat of a competition must be really difficult. Um, what are, so you mentioned a few times, some of some supplements and some of the different, different things that are out there to help nutrition wise. Um, I mean, there are so many on the market. Are there any ones in particular, and this is not a plug for any company or anything like that, but are there any, any things in you in particular that you recommend that people should try or, or even the, the opposite to that stay away from? Sure. So I think one of the things that is very important to consider is knowing that the supplement is coming right when you know that you've done everything else right. When you have that solid foundation in place, 
when you are ensuring that your uh, training sessions are as efficient as possible. That's when we can think of like, all right, let's add something else. Often the supplements are marketed in a way that make people think that just because you're having this particular thing, everything is going to be a significant difference and is going to make a huge impact on your performance or health or everything else. The reality is that if you don't have that foundation solid, that supplement is not going to do anything. It's essentially just going to waste your money. Now, once you have corrected all these things and we start considering supplements, in, in terms of what I use with my athletes, definitely something that we use a lot is those sport foods that I mentioned. Those are considered supplements as well. So gels, energy drinks, another sports drinks, uh, those things are very helpful because it's very compact and it's easy to carry energy. So they are quite practical and I feel like a lot of my athletes actually use them. The other one that is potentially helpful, once again, once we know if there are opportunities to have it is protein powders. This is helpful, particularly for the recovery phase where athletes need to ensure that they are in, uh, getting protein straight away after their training sessions. Usually you also need carbohydrates. The thing with protein is that it's harder to find. So it's easy to just carry a piece of fruit or even like, I don't know, I stop at a service station and get a uh, uh, muesli bar or something to get that carb. But if you want the protein, it's harder. So this, that's when the protein powder becomes very convenient because you can just carry it with you, you add some water and it's there. You, the, something very important to consider here and with any supplement is making sure that it's something that is batch tested. So it means that it's been tested for banned substances. Even if you are someone who is not at a level where there's a chance that they are going to test whether you are doping or not, they are banned for a reason. And one of those reasons is they could have a negative impact on your health. So ensuring that these supplements don't have those substances is very important for you as well. The other one uh, that are demonstrated to work, uh, caffeine, for example, that has a very good uh, performance benefit, especially once again for endurance athletes. It helps people feel essentially what it does. One is in the brain. It, it creates this sense of less feeling less tired. So you feel like you can go for a little bit longer. And it also helps you be more efficient at using fat as fuel. So that also allows you to go longer and faster as well. And there are other supplements like creatine. That one is also uh, has been demonstrated to work. Usually we don't use that with triathletes because that is more about developing muscle mass. It's actually used more in the terms of like power, for example, if we're working with 100 meter sprinters, that's when we consider these supplements. A good framework to have a look at if someone is interested in, actually the Australian Institute of Sport has a very nice supplement framework where they classify supplements depending on their level of evidence. And they- I love that. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like me the resources that were once reserved for big business. And it's customized to your needs. You get a great looking online store that really helps bring your ideas to life and tools to manage the day-to-day -day and drive sales. And I'm speaking about this from experience. 
I'm really passionate about bass fishing. And a little over five years ago, I started an e-commerce bass fishing brand with my best friend, Aaron, called Woo Tungsten. Actually, it's pronounced Woo Tungsten, W-O-O exclamation mark, because that's the sound you make when you catch a giant bass. And it was a no-brainer to do this on Shopify because they've made it so easy every step of the way, from creating product listings, to making discount codes, to managing shipments. In fact, if you want to see what an e-commerce store looks like on Shopify, go to wootungsten.com and you can see. And it's no wonder that every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. You can get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. And you can gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial, and you'll get access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today, just like me, just like Woo Tungsten, by going to shopify.com slash bluewire right now. That's shopify.com slash bluewire. Hey, they have a list of the ones that actually have been demonstrated to work. So I would recommend anyone who is interested in having a look to, to go and jump there because that's um, information that is very digestible and it also shows you what is the benefit of taking any of these um, supplements. Yeah, you, you, you touched on some great stuff there. Um, you mentioned creatinine, which I can remember <laughs> uh, growing up. That was all the rage when I was uh, like in my college years and I'm dating myself now, but um, you know, who, who wasn't lifting and taking creatinine? I mean, like everybody was doing that to try and build muscle mass and protein powder too. Everybody was taking the whey protein, like, oh, you got to go to the gym and then take the whey protein and don't take this type of protein. Don't take that. There's so many out there. And um, everyone, I mean, I remember that was all the thing too, the buzz. Um, and you and you brought up a really good point too, from a healthcare standpoint. You really got to know what you're putting in your body, and looking at those regulatory uh, agencies and looking for that scientific research on a particular product is really important. I can recall having several athletes, and and I actually tried this myself, uh, taking a supplement, and this is back in the day called Zenadrin. And I don't know if you remember or you ever heard of this. It was called Zenadrin EFX. Started with an X. And this had basically ephedra in it, which ephedra is like a stimulant. It's, it's used sometimes in the medical field to help resuscitate the heart. <laughs> and, you know, when you take it, it just, your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate starts to shoot up, and it can have some really detrimental effects. So you got to be, I mean, and since that, I think since that has been banned and is no longer available on the shelves at all here in the States, whether or not you can find it anywhere else, I don't know. But, you know, you bring up some really good points about, you know, making sure that you know what you're getting, making sure that you look at some of those studies that are out there and stuff. So thank you for mentioning that. Now, as you know, my, my podcast touches on injuries and sports injuries. And so the age-old question that I always get is, well, are, is there any supplements or anything that I can take to help me heal faster and recover? And I know that some of the medications we use to help combat inflammation and swelling and to help kind of stimulate the healing process are often some of those natural ingredients that are then used to make some of the medications we prescribe. So 
in your experience, are there any good tips or tricks that people can use from a nutritional standpoint to help them kind of get through and heal and get, get better? <laughs> yes. And I feel like people will be sick of me talking about foundation is key because it is so important, especially for people who are injured. A lot of the times, yes, we, and the, actually I have some supplements that I'm going to share with you, but I think it's also important to consider that at the end, all the nutrients are there to support our body become more efficient. So often when someone has an injury, it's very easy to drop the nutrition because it's like, oh, it's okay. I'm not training. It's fine. Like whatever. I can retake this later. And you don't look at it as uh, that tool that is also going to support in your healing process. So very important ensuring that you're having enough energy still. There, there tends to be extremes. One extreme where oh, I don't want to get uh, fat. So I stop eating enough because I'm concerned that if I, because I'm not training enough, so I'm going to gain weight and I don't need, I try and restrict my diet. And the other extreme, which is, uh, it's fine, whatever. Now is my chance to eat all the things that I've been forbidding myself from eating. And I'm just going to eat all the things that some people, I, I hate calling it like that, but some people would say like junk food or things like that. Both extremes are potentially dangerous. In one end, we are having that lack of nutrients that is supporting that healing process. And at the end, as you mentioned, there's inflammation. The body is trying to recover. There's still energy being necessary. Like you st your body still needs calories. When you are restricting that way, the, the injury can take longer in like heal. And the other end where we are thinking of, oh, doesn't matter. I won't eat what it, like I'll just eat whatever I want. Same, we're lacking nutrients and also we're overeating and that can lead to greater gain, weight gain than when you come back to the field, same story. Like now you have your leg or whatever you had injured that was not exercising and now you're carrying extra weight. So that also can have a, a detrimental impact on your performance as well. So it is finding that, that nice balance. My recommendation often is don't play too much with your food. If, if this is what you were eating, before getting injured, try and stay with that. Often what you were eating around your training sessions, that's what we can change. So that way we can reduce that. But if you can try and keep that nice balance, that's ideal. So that's in terms of food and energy, making sure that it stays as optimal as possible. Yeah, you, you, na next... you nailed it. You're nailing it. That's exactly <laughs> what I've encountered throughout the years working with the athletes I've seen who've gotten injured. So keep going. I didn't mean to cut you off, but you're, you're, you're right on point. It's exactly what I've experienced with my athletes. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes, definitely something very common to see. So yes, one, one is correcting. We're making sure that that energy intake is still there. The second one is protein. So because your muscle is not activated as much, muscle loss can happen. So if you are ensuring that you are having enough protein intake throughout the day, that is good chances that it's going to upset it. Is, I'm not saying that you won't lose muscle mass, but it's definitely going to be decreased. So the recommendation is to have good serves of protein at every single meal. When I'm saying good serves, around to 20, 25 grams of protein. So for example, breakfast, making sure you have eggs or Greek yogurt or something that is high in protein. At lunchtime, having some chicken or beef, tuna or lentils as well things that are all once again high in protein and then dinner time once again something that is high in protein 
So that way you are ensuring that throughout the day you have protein intake at high level because a lot of the time, if people are re- decreasing their energy intake, there's a risk they are also decreasing their protein intake and that is not helpful either. So that's the second thing. Yeah, um, one of the probably, I see that happen a lot with the, the athletes who end up getting injured to the point where they need surgery. I feel like they fall into this trap almost every time. And because they're like, well, I can't do anything physical and I'm recovering. I might as well just stop doing what I'm doing and indulge in the unhealthy stuff and get out of this routine. And, you know, sometimes you have to remind them like, but don't forget, you know, you're healing. You, you need these calories. And like you said, you need the calories. You need the nutrition. It's a big component of it. So from, from, from my experience now, because I work more in the surgical realm now, um, I see that happen a lot to the injured athletes who have to have surgery. And even with the general population, you know, it just seems like they, they get into this mindset where like, well, I'm going to be, you know, in a cast for six weeks. What does it matter? Well, I have to remind them like, oh, it's a huge, it's huge. It's really important. You have to continue to watch what you're eating and making sure you're getting enough calories so that you can get through this. So it's, uh, it's challenging as the provider. And I'm sure you uh, have to deal with that all the time too. Yes, definitely. I feel like in my case, what I get to see a lot is people very getting concerned about not getting, yeah, like they want to restrict their intake, uh, which is essentially, yeah, not helpful either. But yeah, I, I get to see both extremes and both are not helpful. So it is something tricky to achieve having that nice balance where you are eating exactly what you need, but it's not as hard if you start listening to what your body is telling you. It's, it's if you start attending to feeling hungry or full, those are very important cues that we need to listen to. So if you are very hungry, eat. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> like your body's telling you that you need food. Just go for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of that, when it comes to eating and timing, what are some of the key important things to take away from that? I know I've get, I get asked that question all the time too. Um, when is a good time to have this pre uh, workout meal or pre-competition snack or uh, what do you usually educate your your athletes on with that regard? So often the recommendation is to eat probably max one hour close to your training session or event. A lot of people I, I, ha- I see are actually eating like even 30 minutes before starting their effort, but it's a very small meal in that case. It's a snack. But if we're, think- if we're thinking about a big meal, let's say a breakfast meal, Ideally, one hour, two hours before the effort, just to allow for that digestion to occur, occur and, and that way the energy is going to where we need it the most. And uh, so that's both very important is eating still before your training session. Your body needs that energy to perform. So if you are not having that those calories or that carbohydrate before, it's, it's going to be harder for the body to keep up. Some people will argue that, well, I actually never eat before my morning run or my morning exercise and I'm totally fine. And yes, that's, that's true. You still can do it, but I can guarantee that if you train your body to do it with energy in, in, in you, you are going to notice a big difference in your performance and your training session is going to be more efficient as well. Yeah. I think uh, those people are probably the ones that end up inevitably hitting the proverbial wall. 
And I know you, you know what I'm talking about. Can you explain that for our listeners, what that means for an athlete to hit the wall and how nutrition plays a role in that process? Sure. Nutrition is critical in, in avoiding that, that wall. So essentially what happens with the, with the wall is with when an athlete runs out of, of fuel, essentially. We, our body operates with carbohydrates and fat. It's even for the leanest of athletes, it's very hard for them to run out of fat. We have a lot of energy from that, but the body is not as efficient at processing the fat. So usually when we hit that wall is because the body ran out of carbs to process. And that's when it's like, essentially, it's not like, it's not like a car where you change gears, but it feels like that. Like the, the suddenly you're going very smooth and everything starts like feeling harder and harder. And that's where people feel like hitting that wall because suddenly you're having that foot pace and out of nowhere, you feel that is very hard to keep up because your body is now changing to a different type of fuel predominantly being fat and that is taking more energy as well. Like it's harder for the body to use fat than it is to use carb. Yeah. I think the, the cyclists call it bonked. They bonked. I don't know what do the ultra marathoners or ultra distance runners have a term for it or is it just the wall? <laughs> Everybody has some, some type of unique term for it, I think. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, we, we just bonk over yeah, here as well. Yeah. And in Spanish, they have, I feel like Mexicans, we are very creative. We have even funnier words for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, lactic acid, I guess, buildup is also what leads to that, right? And is there is nutrition can help in that regard? Because it, it all has to do with energy production and utilization um, and prevent trying to push that threshold higher and higher and higher so that you don't hit it. But, you know, if you're not using those calories from proper sources, you're going you're, you're gonna to hit that threshold much lower or much sooner than you otherwise would. So it's a really important lesson to learn, especially for the, yeah. especially for the distance people, correct? I mean, you know, I'm sure more so than even the power lifters or power sport athletes. Yeah, well, I guess it's different. Like, I feel like for distance people, it's definitely avoiding that wall. That is probably one of the most important things. And more than avoiding it is is moving beyond that. It's ensuring that your body keeps going as efficient as possible, knowing that you're eating what you need. In the terms of uh, power, uh, power lifters or people who are sprinters, that's when it comes in place other type of eight. So yes, you need that energy to potentially, for example, let's say a hundred meter sprint, where is something that is going to take in at a very very elite level less than ten seconds, or let's say for a, probably 15 seconds, let's say we're like pushing in a little bit. Uh, it's like, obviously you don't need to eat before that effort because your body is going to be able to complete that. But you do need to eat for all the training that you need to do in, a, in order to run in those 10 seconds. And there are other, I guess we call them, it's supplements, but it's also we consider ergogenic aids. And that's when creatine, bicarb soda, uh, the beta alanine, those are things that are have a buffering capacity as well. And that aids with that lactic acid building and helping you to, to sort of like delay that onset as well. Were those some of the supplements that you were mentioning earlier that you were going to bring up? Yeah, actually like, well, the, because the, in terms of the, for injury yeah. recovery, yeah. there are two that have been uh, shown effect. And it depends on the type of injury you have. So okay. if your injury is from a muscle nature, that's when creatine is relevant. 
So creatine can support that recovery and also ensuring that your muscle mass is not lost. So that's when you get to have uh, 10 grams per day for at least three weeks. And then you continue with two grams after you have built that uh, reserve. Okay. And if your injury is from a tendon nature, that's when gelatin or collagen is helpful. So at the end, like your tendon needs collagen. So having that supplementation and actually having it with vitamin C, which is supporting that um, absorption, it's been, uh, has been demonstrated to be helpful for, for athletes, particularly if you have it, this, if you have this supplement 10, uh, sorry, one hour before your rehab session, or your, if you have a training session, have it one hour before, and then you have that session and it's actually supporting in, in creating those collagen linkages in your, in your tendons. And how does that come in? What type, what form do you get the collagen supplement? The pill so or? there's, uh, there's mostly powder and you mix it with a drink. And the gelatin is similar. You can actually like literally is gelatin with, you know, the yellow, you yeah. can literally just have that yeah. and just make sure that you're adding vitamin C afterwards, because if you cook it with the, the yellow, it's, it's not going to last. Well, that's great. That's great. That's great information. I, I, I think I have heard the creatinine um, uh, supplement as mentioned with muscle injuries and, and the three week time frame, that's not arbitrary. And because that's about when you start getting from that acute phase and you start kind of moving into the more of that remodeling phase of injury healing. So uh, three weeks is actually perfect because it, and that's usually what they determine. And I'm just, this is more for the listeners, not for you, Gabby, but uh, as you know, um, you know, when the, when you're in that acute inflammatory phase, sometimes that can last anywhere up to two weeks. And then as the body becomes moving out of that inflammatory phase and starts developing into that remodeling phase where the body starts laying down new collagen and healing the muscle tissue. That's about the three week mark. And that's like one of the most important times. So it makes sense that they would say at the, like for 21 days, you should be taking that credit and trying to help maintain the muscle mass and, and stuff. So that's really interesting stuff. I'll have to look into that more myself because that's good advice I can give my uh, patients. Um, so awesome. Any, any other, uh, pieces of advice or common questions or topics that come up when you first meet with your athletes that you think my listeners and, and myself included should take away from our conversation that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, yeah, I guess probably being patient because a lot of people, because precisely because of the marketing around it, everybody is often expecting immediate results. Uh, and this is something that takes time. A lot of people I see actually say like, I feel wonderful, like already in, within the first month of, of working on their nutrition, which is fantastic. But once you start, when you want to start seeing these changes happening, sometimes it takes time and it's knowing that you are doing it in the right way, that you are giving what your body needs to perform at its best in all ways, not just in a sport, in life, you need these nutrients, your body needs to like they are essential nutrients for a reason because your body needs them for every single function you have. And that takes time to build on into a solid, a strong um, body as well. So probably one of the things that I, I often put emphasis on is being patient. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's crucial for a lot of things that go into uh, athletic performance. 
and uh, and healing and healing from injury. So um, key advice there. <laughs> um, well, Gabby, I, I don't really have any more questions for you. And I really want to thank you for, for taking the time to sit with me and chat. You provided us with some great information. I get a lot of questions on these topics all the time. So I've been anxiously awaiting your visit and uh, our chat here for the podcast. So thank you again for, um, for joining us all the way from Australia um, via, via um, Zoom. So um, I do appreciate you taking the time. And Gabby, um, is where if people are looking to get in touch with you, if they're looking to connect with you, maybe get a consultation with you, why don't you just let us know where they can find you, um, what they can expect from a discussion with you. And uh, I'm going to give you a chance to plug your business. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So probably Instagram is the social media where I'm the most active. That is easy for like for to connect with me. It's at Intensive Fit. And please feel free to send me a message when if you have any questions. I also have available a free 20-minute consult on my website. So people can link and register for that and have a chat with me if they would like to. And otherwise, happy for people to send me an email, Gabby at intensitefit.com. And I'm always more than happy to have a chat. I'm a huge advocate for, for science and for nutrition being used in the right way. So I'm always very keen on debunking all these myths around nutrition and performance. Yes. Thank you very much. That's great. Uh, we need more people like you out there tackling the science and getting behind the, the into the science. That's what we need. Um, so thank you. And, and by the way, I will have all this information in the show notes. So in case you didn't get all that, um, I will have it all in the show notes and it'll be available um, on my website as well. And you'll be able to clink, uh, excuse me, click on a, the link that will take you to Gabby's website as well. I already have that up actually right now. So uh, feel free to check it out. Um, that's at the injuredlist.com. So uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, all the way from Perth, Australia, Gabby Vila, nutritional performance uh, expert and um, endurance athlete, sports nutritionist and performance uh, advocate, <laughs> uh, Gabby, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Brian. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks. You're listening to the Injured List Podcast with your host, Brian Scott, your go-to resource for all sport injury-related topics. For show notes and other resources, visit theinjuredlist.com.